1: Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible, and those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet.
0: Welcome to another special release of Investor Stories. On this installment, the experts discuss a startup that they did not invest in, why they passed and if there was a key learning that now informs their approach. Here is the segment called Why I Passed. On today's special segment, we have Samil Shaw of the Haystack Fund. Samil, can you tell us about a startup that you were very interested in, but chose not to invest in, and why it was that you passed?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there's a startup in New York where I actually wrote So, the startup now is valued like well over $500 million by legitimate VC funds. It's a consumer brand company. And it was painful for me because I had actually written a post that I wanted to see a company in this space with this model, which I never do. So, that was rare. And then the intro was just thrown to me because I wrote this post by a friend and he was investing. And I had kind of a bad phone call, like in the sense that it didn't wow me. And I just kind of decided based on that, like, Hey, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. And it's kind of frustrating in the sense that even though I didn't get to meet the person face to face, and if, if they were local, I probably would have that investment could have probably geez more than return my fund Just one phone call. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's, I have a few stories like that and I'm every investor does, you know, how much time do you have?
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe pick out a key one where you learned a big lesson and maybe it's changed the way that you approach things now.
1: Yeah, I think that I had known Goggin from Sprig for a long time. And when he started the company in the seed round, I could have easily just texted him and said, Hey, can I put in some money? And he probably would have said, Sure. And I remember I remember thinking to myself, I, I just don't think that idea works. So I kind of just dismissed it without just sitting down and taking a minute. And, you know, that was a mistake of, especially because I knew Goggin and he's very, very special in terms of being a founder, he's a very special person. So I, I used the reptilian part of my brain around thinking about the idea and categorizing it and dismissing it before really thinking about the ingredients and the other side of my brain. That also may end up being a costly oversight.
0: On today's special segment, we have Peter Wilkins of Hyde Park Angels. Peter, can you tell us about a startup that you were very interested in, but ultimately chose not to invest? And can you talk about why it was that you passed?
2: You know, it's funny because we probably, I mean, we see a lot of stuff that's really promising. And so this across many passes that we have, what we'll see is strong in the market, strong management team, but we don't have the domain expertise to really validate it. And that's why we pass you know, promising, but we just can't add value. And we have to learn about that market in a way that we won't be a good partner. So we pass on opportunities like that. That's why we pass and on a pretty consistent basis. I don't have one to give you that was like, oh my God, we shouldn't have passed on that. I think there's a lot of ones that are really questionable, But at the end of the day, we know what the formula that we have, and our formula is to match human capital with entrepreneurs to help them drive success, and our financial capital follows that. So if we can't make that match, we pass, but sometimes it's tough to pass because we think there is a really promising entrepreneur that we should support, but we need to stay focused on what we do well.
0: What about situations where you do have domain expertise, but you find this variable coming up more often than not, strong startup, maybe the idea is great, but this one seems to come up frequently where ultimately you have to pass, even assuming you do have domain expertise.
2: The thing that would most likely come up is, can we determine if it can become a pattern for the desired consumer of the product, whether it's B2B or B2C? So the market is starting to show that it's somewhat validated, or there's enough evidence in a sense that, hey, this is really intriguing, but we can't get comfortable with the fact that it will really start to develop a pattern that's recurring. And so it's like that traction element of how much evidence do you need that there's a value prop that we can really get the traction we need to be able to validate it to that next step. And I think that's where the grayest area, you know, it's just tough to tell sometimes. And that's also sometimes we should not pass. And then sometimes we should have passed. Um, And I think, you know, we've got a couple (laughs) that, that are like that right now.
0: This episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex corporate card for startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend, and all with no personal guarantee. Sign up at Brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have Andrew Parker of Spark Capital. Andrew, can you tell us about a startup that you were very interested in but chose not to invest in and why it was that you passed?
3: Yeah, you know, I um, I take the confidentiality of a pitch very seriously. I just think for a given entrepreneur, it really matters that they trust the VC across the table and not to disclose any information that's happening there. So I don't feel liberty to talk about modern examples. But you know, there was one example that was published publicly by Paul Graham and also by Brian Chesky. This was in the case of Airbnb. So this was back when I was at Ean Square Ventures. I was a uh, an associate in the room. So it's not like uh, I'm trying to take credit for Source and Steal by any means. I mean, this was Paul Graham showing it directly to Fred Wilson. But so it was me and Fred taking the pitch. And uh, and it was the three Airbnb founders on, on the other side of the table. And at the time, the company was called Airbed and Breakfast. And they were articulating what the bed and breakfast market was, why they thought a kind of more uh, distributed version that leveraged people's homes, apartments, or even just couches, could actually be a means of competing, you know, kind of coming in from the bottom up with like a cheaper solution. Sure. And um, and we thought the idea was super interesting intellectually, but because the company literally had the word bed and breakfast in its name, we couldn't help but just do like kind of a back of the envelope market sizing analysis to try <laughs> and figure out, you know, like what is the market for bed and breakfast, and then what is the low end of that market. And how much could Airbnb reasonably grab of that market share? And so then how big would this company be in roughly three to four years? You know, just that's, that was kind of the exercise we went through. And we managed to get to, you know, maybe like $100 million worth of gross transaction value of which we thought Airbnb's take rate could reasonably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10%. I think at the time they're operating at like 11% or something like that. And so we thought, you know, okay, they could get to like $11 million and maybe it's even more like $20 million because perhaps we were too conservative in this case or that case or whatever. But we we couldn't reasonably stretch ourselves beyond a $20 million recurring revenue run rate. And we were like, well, that's not really venture scale. So there's something super interesting in here, but probably isn't for us. And like, that was just idiotic. You know, we were like so, so, so (laughs) wrong, right? Like instead, what we should have been thinking about is the market that they're creating, that, you know, that they were creating like a, a totally new way in which someone might travel a way that might be completely preferable. You know, I think of this very similar to the way that I think of Uber, where, you know, people think Uber is a replacement for the taxi market. And I think that's actually the least interesting part of Uber. And instead, it's, you know, the replacement for car ownership, where Uber gets super interesting. And, you know, we should have been thinking about Airbnb this way, but we weren't. And so we were idiots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's hard to to know when consumers ideology is going to switch, right? From I need a hotel when I'm on vacation to, well, there's this whole supply side that's untapped and I could stay at, an even better place with even better amenities and and even better services.
3: Yeah, I think knowing that in the aggregate level, knowing that, you know, the dentist from Des Moines is going to prefer an Airbnb when he's going on his Florida vacation, that's really hard to know. But what is easier to know when you're thinking about kind of seed stage or series A stage investing is looking at people that are directly in the target market that have already used the product and just interviewing them. You know, and try right. not to be leading with it, but just ask them, Hey, how'd you like it? You know, what was it like? And and you know, for the most part, most of the time you're gonna get fairly mixed feedback and then you gotta figure out what to do with it. And you know, because you know, in VC you, you just see so many opportunities at the top of the funnel and you're only gonna be investing in, you know, one to two companies per year or something like that, you know, most of that mixed data is gonna end up mixed enough that you'll you'll probably end up not investing in that company. But Once in a while, you're going to do these customer interviews and people are just going to shake you. They're going to grab you by the neck and be like, (laughs) you don't understand. This is like the best experience ever. This is changing the way that I either do business or enjoy my leisure or whatever the, the thing that is being solved. And that's a really great leading indicator that you have a good early stage investment on your hand.
0: You know, when Steve Blank was on the program, I asked him about how one can determine if the innovators or early adopters are actually going to be representative of the early majority, late majority, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts about how you can parse out or ferret out if some of those early evangelists are really going to represent the ideology of of the mass market?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. That's hard. I mean, I think you should get conviction that the folks that are giving you really positive feedback are people whose opinion you trust. That's important. Whether or not they're representative of a larger audience or not, I think it's just going to take judgment on behalf of the investor. Right. There there's some research you can do there in comparison. Like let's say it's a B2B service and you happen to be talking to company that's raving about the product that has like two employees, but really the target market for this company, for this product is is more like 20 to 30 employees or something like that, then you haven't found a A representative set. But outside of that kind of analysis, I mean, this is one place where you could probably take the plunge and and find yourself error.
0: That will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening.